When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Okay, Sunday night. Sorry about that, Bob. Here we go. Oh, my gosh. Well, we started talking about... Oh, we're not at Noah. Wait a minute. I don't know. No, I don't we're we're at Genesis the murder. Three. We're at Genesis. Yeah, we just finished Genesis three. We're moving on to Genesis four. I had the wrong paper clip. Okay. Yeah, so we're talking about the first murder. And um, when we left off, I mean, you 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 know, in at the end of Genesis three, men began to call on the name of the. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of Genesis four. Uh, with Seth, men began to call on the name of the Lord. That is a covenant phrase that uh, literally shows that, you know, things belong to you in covenant and you can make a demand on what it is that you, you know, you require. But before that, Adam and Eve had learned um, about animal sacrifice from God. Um, right there in chapter 3, um, God killed the first animal, used the skins to cover their nakedness, their shame, and um, that was the beginning of animal sacrifice. And the reason we know that is because their kids understood sacrifice. And um, the ancient Hebrew practice is, of course, that the oldest uh, male in the family is the patriarch. He was the high priest of the family that would go before the Lord for everybody. So Adam obviously taught his sons about sacrificing to the Lord. Um, but the thing that um, that we have to remember is, is even though Adam was execrated from a lot of the blessings, that covenant brought him back into a relationship with God of sorts. And um, it was faith counted to him as righteousness. Which in Romans, that's what Paul says, where there is no law. And at that point, there was no nation of Israel. There were no Ten Commandments. The law had not been given. So it was the faith of man that God counted as righteousness. The same with Abraham. And the same with us, because we're under grace, not under the law. It's faith. And, and Hebrews defines that as believing that he is and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So when you come to God, you you know, you understand that there is a blessing that flows when you come through that blood, you know, from that sacrifice. So at the end of that chapter, Adam had just learned about blood sacrifice and passed it on to his kids because the very next scene you see there is a sacrifice going on. Um, and I wonder if Adam was the high priest at that point, the acting high priest in the family. I would think he was um, the patriarch of the family at that point. But, you know, who who's to say? Um, and I wonder, you know, you never hear about Adam and Eve's reaction, you know, other than they were overjoyed when they had another son. You never 
hear about their you know their agony in this and their trials at all you don't hear any more about Adam and Eve you just you just jump right over that so I have a lot of questions that I'd like to ask them when I get to heaven I got a list of stuff that I'd like to know about that but um They at least had two sons, Cain and Abel. The Jewish tradition says that they had many more children than that. But that Cain and Abel were the, the oldest, the two oldest. And um, that's, you know, that's just Jewish tradition. And also, I find this interesting, Jewish tradition, but also Arabic tradition, which, you know, they, they were descendants of Abraham and descendants going back. But the Arabic tradition as well, not Islamic but the Arabic um, tradition is that at this time Adam and Eve would have had multiple births. Um, twins which is weird, with a female twin who would become their wives. Which is interesting, you know. And I, I don't understand where that came from. But um, why not? You know, I mean, this is early on. We don't have perversion in the gene pools yet. It's not like incest at this point. We're just trying to populate the planet. So that makes sense to me that they would have a twin sister that would eventually become their wives. But it's just tradition, so I'm throwing it out there. Cain's name means fast-striking spear. And Abel's name means transitory. So, you know, Abel was that transitory spirit. Cain was that fast-striking spear. It was even prophetic in the names that, that Adam and Eve gave them. Um, so let's just read a minute. Start in verse 1 in chapter 4 of Genesis. What is Abel's name? Abel's name means transitory. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Another one's fast striking spear. Spear. Mm-hmm. Spear. S P E A R. Okay. Oh. Fast striking spear. Huh. Kind of interesting. Yeah, that's that's good because um, I have in here for Seth is appointed, and I have like a lot of the names there mm-hmm. from uh, chapter five, but I never had Cain, Cain and, Abel. and Abel. Huh. And there they are, and it's so prophetic in their names, isn't it? Yeah, it, it would have been Cain is the way it would have been pronounced, and Habel. So Cain is fast-striking spirit, Habel is transitory. Just really interesting prophecy there. So verse 1, Adam and Eve, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. In process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the first fruits the firstlings, I'm sorry, of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Um, when it was talking about that in the process of time I just I ran across this comment that I thought was interesting it literally it doesn't mean that over time they finally offered a sacrifice but in the process of time it literally meant that during the process of uh, 
uh, you know, like husbandry and agriculture, there's a process in time. And at, at the certain point of this process in time, the sacrifice would have been brought. And um, um, a lot of Jewish scholars think that it was probably the end of the year harvest time. Um, and we say end of the year, these are notes here, but really harvest time is the beginning of the year for the Jewish people because we just had uh, the Jewish New Year on October 2nd. Um, that's cool too. If you guys get a chance, look up um, in the Targum a prophecy about the Jewish year um, 5777. Um, it was 1,200-year-old prophecy. I meant to bring it, but um, it is so accurate, you know, about what's going on now even um, with the dates. But, yeah, but if you think of it, look in the Targum, Targum prophecies of the year 5777. Just type that in and see what comes up. Um, it was pretty cool when I read it, and I can't remember the name of the, the man who wrote it, but I had it printed, and I thought, I'll bring it, and then don't you know I forgot it. Okay, but anyway, that was neither here nor there. But it believed that it was the season um, that everything was gathered, the harvest, so that there would have been ample reason to, to make an offering in thanksgiving to God. And um, so Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. Um, the Jewish writers, Jonathan and Jarkey, believed that he brought what was left of the fruit of the ground, like flaxseed and things like that. Um, and it, the, the general idea is that he had no awe for the majesty of God. There was no awe in his mind for the majesty of God. My thought is this. If, if Adam learned about animal sacrifice and the covering of sin, the covering of your shame and guilt, he would have taught that to his boys. So, you know, was it Cain's heart attitude or was it the offering that he brought? Um, there are some translations that say um, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and then after ground is the phrase which God had cursed. It's not in all translations. I, I couldn't, I didn't, I don't have any translations that have that. What, what is the... Um, verse 3 where it says, And Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. After the word ground, there are several translations that have um, which God had cursed. Mine just says Cain presented some of his crops, crops as a gift to the Lord. Okay. Well, I... Um, Doesn't say... Yeah, the, um, the Catholic Bibles keep which God had cursed mm -hmm. in it. And some of the Jewish scriptures, but not all of the Jewish translations, which God had cursed, which kind of makes sense, you know. Um, so he, in other words, was preventing, presenting a product of his own toil, the work of his own hands. You know, this is what I've done, and I'm bringing you a little something to say thank you for, you know, helping me out with that. But there was no awe in Cain for the majesty of God, none whatsoever. So Abel, the soil, hmm? 
Wasn't the soil cursed? Yes, it was cursed. And Cain brought... Not the animals. No, the animals weren't. Well, in a sense, they all fell under the curse because everything is made of dirt. Yeah, okay. Okay. So it's directly cursed. The ground but the ground was cursed. directly cursed. Yeah. And God spoke a curse over the ground. You know, he didn't speak a curse over the animals. In fact, he recognized animals as being innocent blood. You know, innocent blood. But, um... My notes say which God had cursed. Mm. Do your notes say that? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's in a lot of translations. And I think that's kind of an important phrase, actually. Because that tells you a little bit more about Cain's um, heart. And I, I know Adam would have taught him about blood sacrifice. And you just mentioned another important word. It's by the toil. And the toil itself is a curse yeah. rather than the blessing and favor of the Lord. That's right. Good point. It is. The toil itself is a curse. That is exactly right. God pronounced that over Adam. Yes. So, you know, it, it, nothing about that sacrifice was right. From his heart, whether he was just bringing the tail end or just from his crops or whatever, um, the presentation of what he brought to the Lord was not acceptable to God. Um, Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat, meaning it would have been the best lamb, the fattest lamb, the, the most free of defects and blemishes, you know. Um, and it would have been a young lamb, a, not an old guy that's running out of steam, you know, you're not going to drag in a lamb that's on its last legs, but a young one, of, you know, that's absolutely perfect and without defect. And of course, that's a type and a shadow of God's lamb, slain from the foundations of the world. So, you know, that in itself is a slap in the face of Jesus um, for Cain to have brought vegetables, you know. So, but God's a discerner of the heart. And um, he looked at those sacrifices and he had respect um, for Abel's sacrifice. The word respect there means he gazed on that um, sacrifice with compassion. He had compassion toward Abel and his sacrifice. He looked on it with compassion. And if it's, you know, if it is a type and a shadow of his own son, wouldn't it be so that he would look on the shedding of the blood of a firstling um, of the sheep um, with compassion? Um, and most Christian scholars that, that I read agree that um, it wasn't so much about what was offered as it was about the attitude. Abel recognized his sinful nature. And by faith, God received that gift with mercy and grace. And um, it was through that shed blood. Cain obviously believed God existed or he wouldn't have shown up at all. So he believed that God existed. But he like so many, obey the ritual. They go through the ritual every week. And he didn't have a penitent heart. There was no, nothing in him that made him look like a, a man of, you know, who recognized his own fallen nature. And um, so when he offered that sacrifice, there was no request for Forgiveness. There was no desire for forgiveness from him. He almost met God as if they were equals. 
you know, here, thank you, you, you helped me do this, I'm just giving something back like a good neighbor, you know. Um, and the Israelites had the same problem at one point. They just went through the motions of, uh, um, of worshiping God. They, they didn't please him. In Isaiah 58, God said, you think I want all this blood sacrifice? That's what I want? No, I want that sacrifice of your heart. Where you where you care about people and you you know you reach out to to people that's a sacrifice I want, but you just keep going through these motions. And um, Matthew seven, you know, Jesus says at the end he said there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be shocked because they're going to go Lord Lord and he, and I'm going to say depart from me because I never knew you. And they'll go, yeah, but didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these great works in your name? And he's going to say, I don't care. I didn't know you. I never knew you. Because there was no relationship whatsoever. Um, that's Matthew 7, 20. Um, if you want, we can go look at that. Why don't we just do that? Look at Matthew 7, 20. Just go to Matthew. Well, it's interesting that God talks more about the Cain and the attitude of him than Abel's good gift. Right. Yeah, really. He does. It's a warning. It is a severe warning for us. Exactly right. Matthew what? Seven. Matthew 7. <laughs> <clears throat> Joyce Myers, what does she say? She says, I can sit in my garage and it'll never make me a car. Right. Just like there are a lot of people that sit in church, but that won't make you a Christian. Well, wearing the Jesus yeah. pin on your lapel. Wearing the Jesus pin on your lapel won't make you a Christian. Exactly right. You know, there's a heart that has to be transformed and changed. He has to be, you have to give your life to him. You have to relinquish and, and receive him. You know, before you're, before anything you do is looked on. Yeah. The other thing is, that she said, uh, underlining your Bible in spots and spots and writing in the in the uh, pages doesn't actually make you a Christian. That's true. Yeah. Everything. It's true. I think it's the heart with which you underline it. Yes. You know, it's the hunger that you have in your spirit. Some people underline so they can beat people over the head with it. Right. You know, but when you're underlining because there's food there for yes. you that's a different that's a different yes. hard attitude and she's right about that you know I had the hardest time with that because I've been taught never to write in a book yeah uh, and I, I got around all these Christians that were writing that Writing in your Bible, desecrating, yeah. desecrating. The book. roof is going to fall in. Oh no! Uh, that's yeah. how I used to believe. Yeah, yeah. don't desecrate the Bible by writing on the page. You keep it like pristine and pure. Nobody's and you never write there but God's. Huh? But yeah. uh, like 15 years ago, oh, you yeah. finally broke the pens and writing. pencils out. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I and I think it it is. It's a you know, there's that desperate need for whatever God has in the book. But you're right. You're exactly right about that. Well, look at verse 21 here. Because Jesus is talking about this very thing. See, both of these guys were there offering sacrifices. You know, they both knew they needed to be there. Abel had this humble heart before the Lord. Cain was jumping through hoops. You know? And um, Jesus says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And you know what the will of God is. It's to love him. That's the work. That's what we're called to do is to love him. That's the work. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And that's exactly where Cain was. You know, Cain just thought, well, I've offered the sacrifice. He better well accept it. You know, I'm here, aren't I? I've done what I'm supposed to do. I jumped through that hoop. But it fell short of what God expected. So that made Cain mad. It really ticked him off. My question is this. This is what I wrote down. Who is he mad at? I mean, you know, was he mad at God for refusing his offering? Was he ticked at Abel, whose sacrifice uh, was accepted when his wasn't? Because I know he wasn't ticked off at himself. The, the anger wasn't there. So where, where, where did the anger go? I know he took it out on Abel. But you just think, so who was he mad at? I mean, what did Abel do to him? Nothing. And I love the way John Gill describes his attitude. He says, the briskness and cheerfulness of his countenance went off. And he looked dejected. Instead of lifting his face toward heaven, he looked to the earth. He looked churlish and morose and sullen, ill-natured, full of malice and revenge, as if he was studying which way to vent his rage. Isn't that a great description? Mm -hmm. I just have to say something. Talking about writing on your, your Bible. Yeah. I could jump for joy when I look at these pages and the notes because that's life. It is life. That's bringing the scriptures to my life. Yes. And to your life that you teach others. Yes. And everyone, when you write these notes, this is what becomes the living word. That's it. Wow. And you apply it to yourself and, and to those around you where you can. That's it. Where you can, just, exactly right. That makes it oh. being here tonight worthwhile. Just Thank getting that. Yeah. To get the full understanding of what it means to have the right heart. Yeah. The right heart. I'm sorry for crying, but no. it's just when it hits oh you, gosh, it hits it's just you. touching me so hard right now. Thank but you. This Lord. means yeah. to your life. Yes. And when I think back when I you know, pure and pristine pages. Yeah. And what I was going through, and someone asked, could I just write this little note? Or could I just mark this scripture for you? And I, at first I wasn't sure. Yeah. And then I said, yes, you can. Yes, you may. And after that, it was just opening it's up like a the damn gate wow. for writing. Like the damn bro. And every page that I look where there's something marked or stored or, or a, a note or an explanation or a definition, it's like, it just it is. It gives you the rhema. It does. It's that seed that gets planted and then just explodes. And I know inside. everyone around this table feels yes. the same way. Wow. Yeah, we do. And that's why we're here Sunday evening. That's it. That's exactly why we're here. Because we're hungry. We're desperate. You know, you don't have to be a miserable, unhappy person with great problems on your shoulders to be desperate for God. You no. just... You know, you just sometimes just you just need to put more life into things. You do. Maybe things may be just going, you know, okay. Or, yeah. You know, you're getting by and all, but you don't have to be in the bottom of the pit. That's right. You could just be like treading water somewhere, and That's then all it. of a sudden you get the life and the joy in it. The abundant yeah. life. The abundant it life. is. That's what he promised. Abundant life. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm -hmm. It's beautifully said, Tina. Thank you. Yes, thank you. You know, thank you for just reminding us of that. It does take my breath away. You know, when you think about it like that. It is. It is. And when you open and you go back, it's almost like you, you're home. You know, you open it up and you get on those old familiar pages and it's a little bit like coming home well, to a comfortable place. Yeah. I, I, you know. I lost a Bible once. Um, oh, I, in, that's I hard. Flight, I was in flight and there was an airline crash imminently right before we landed. Wow. And there was chaos in the airport and so my Bible that I had all these wonderful markings Yes. In, was gone, and I, I was like, my whole suitcase was gone, but I mean, the word, yeah. the biggest thing was my Bible was gone. Yes. And all those notes that yeah. brought that Bible alive to me, and I just mourned that, and then the Lord told me, I will give you new revelation with those scriptures. That's awesome. You know, that as I yeah. saw that scripture again, I wouldn't go back to necessarily what he told me at the time, although that was precious to right. me. Right. But he was saying, there's plenty of room to write new revelation. Isn't that true? Yeah. Because every time you get a revelation, every time you get a new understanding, then you can go back to Genesis 1 and every verse has a different context because of the new understanding you have. You're right. Mm -hmm. So even... Yes, yeah, so you get that new revelation. I th I'm sitting here thinking, oh, oh my gosh, what if I, like, oh, I don't know if I could well, lose it. Oh, it just kind of gets you. Mm -hmm. A couple, not last year, but the year before Christmas. And um, it's pretty pristine because yes, I, and I have my, oh, my, um, you know, yeah. King James Version. Yeah. And sometimes I will bring that, I bring that on Monday. Yeah. Um, but, you know, here I am again, like starting again. Back, and it's like so now I understand that that if anything happens, you still have plenty of room to write revelation. Write new revelation. Yeah, there's never an end, is there? We'll never know the depths of God. But it's so it's so much fun. It's it's like a treasure hunt. But yeah, every time you get a new revelation, then all scripture changes. You know, it just always does. It can never stay the same because you're not the same. Mm -hmm. Which is, that's just amazing to me. God, you are so awesome. You are so awesome. Thank you, Father. Wow. Isn't that great? And then, and this is cool to me too. As mean and nasty as Cain was, with a fallen face and all that anger and all that rage, and all God has for him is just pure, raw love. Pure, raw love. And so what does he do? I mean, he could have come to Cain and said, you know, straighten up. Which in a way he did, but he came in a really tender way. Um, look at Genesis 4 verse 6. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? And that's exactly my question. Why is he mad? Who is he mad at? Not himself. We'll learn that. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door. And unto you shall be his desire, and you shall uh, rule over him. Now that, that's a muddy translation. I love what the Amplified says. It says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin crouches at your door. It has a desire for you, but you must master it. And, and you know, that goes back to, just leave your fingers there and go to Romans 6. 
Romans 6. <coughs> you know, more and more I see this playing, it, playing itself out. And it sounds like Paul's almost saying the same thing here that God said to Cain. But um, look at verse 16. He says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of disobedience unto righteousness or of obedience unto righteousness. So basically the question is, just like it was to Adam, whose voice are you going to listen to? If you listen to God's voice, you're not going to eat of that fruit. But if you listen to Satan's voice, you're going to bow your knee and he's going to become your master. Because you bowed your knee and allowed him to become your master. So God's trying to stop him. He says, you have to master this. Or it will master you is basically what he's saying. Um, you know, if, if you do well, you're going to master sin crouching at the door. But if you don't do well, sin crouching at the door will become your master. And it's always been that way. And that's the question, whose voice do you listen to? Whose voice do you listen to? Well, he listened to Satan and bowed his knee and killed his brother. And it was because of the condition of his heart. Whose voice did he listen to and obey? And it's the same sin, pride of life, Lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. You know, he wanted to be accepted like Abel. He didn't, he didn't want to be rejected. He wanted to be better than Abel. He wanted to be, um, you know, and, and because his name is first, you wonder if he's the big brother and Abel's the little brother, Cain and Abel. It doesn't say, well, it does. It says they had Cain first and then Abel. So Abel's the baby brother, you know, and maybe that galled him because... Abel was the favorite in God's eye, and he wasn't. Little brother was the favorite. You don't, you know, you have no idea, but it's all still pride of life. I will do what I want when I want. Lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. I, my, my eyes and my flesh lust to be raised up like Abel, but I'll get there by killing him. If I kill him, then I'll be the favorite, you know. It's kind of the picture that I have of that. And verses, now back to Genesis, verses 9 and 10. This is cool. We're going back to old science here in a minute. Um, so anyway, God has spoken to him. He said, look, you, you know, you, you can't let this master you. He warned him. And um, still Abel killed his brother. Look at verse 8 in Genesis 4. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And God said to Cain, where's, where's Abel your brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Boy, there's a first lie right out of his mouth. And you remember what Paul says, Satan is a liar. And Jesus says, all those that follow Satan as a liar are, are children of are liars. You know, his children are liars. And there it is, the first lie right out of his mouth. I don't know where he is. Am I his keeper? 
And you know what else I find interesting about that? He is so in your face with God. Flippant and in your face with that. Not the awesome creator of the universe, God. But it's like, what's it to you? You know. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your, blo your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Um, back to some old science. I don't know if you remember the NASA experiments that they did um, some years ago where we were, taught, we were studying light, actually. And um, how, how everything gives off light. Everything communicates with everything else. Um, it, it all, it's all connected. And um, so NASA would take people and put them in a room and isolate them and take white blood cells from inside their mouth. And they would take those cells and put them in another room in, in petri dishes. And they would study the light that would come off of the... Um, off of the cells, you know, that would be reflected off of the cells. And then, and the person disconnected from those cells in another room was shown video clips of different things. Some made you happy, some made you sad, some made you scared, some made you angry. And what they were finding is, is that the emotions of the person completely disconnected from the cells would show up in the light patterns that were reflected uh, from these cells that were in another room. That if the person was angry or fearful or um, upset, yeah, or resentful, the cells would darken. The light would darken, you know, and it would be chaotic in its um, em emissions where a person, when they were feeling love and happiness and everything, the cells would brighten up, the light would get whiter that was emitted from those cells, and then it would, it would be released in an orderly fashion. Which says to me that blood, life is in the blood. And that when God says, Adam's blood was speaking to me from the ground, it was because God is light. And the light coming from that blood was chaotic and dark and fearful. And God says, his blood is speaking to me from the ground. And I'm thinking, wow, that is so, that's a powerful thought, you know. That even science supports what God said. It wasn't just God knowing something, but the very blood of Abel was speaking to God, you know, from the ground. Which is also cool because the blood of Jesus in heaven on, on the heavenly throne, there's no death up there. Those cells are all alive. So they continually speak to God about our righteousness and about our forgiveness, which I think is cool as well. But that God would say, you know, his blood is speaking to me from the ground. Um, in other words, that blood declared the person's motions and what they, you know, what they were experiencing um, in the Targum, one of the authors writes, the voice was of many seeds of Abel's generations that would never be born. And I think there's another voice, yeah. you know, um, wow. as well. But it's pretty cool, you know, when you think about it. So unlike Adam and Eve, who were actually alarmed by their sin, you know, when they realized they were naked, they were alarmed. They tried to cover their sin. They were shameful and guilty, guilt-ridden, and they 
cover themselves and they hid in the bushes because of an awesome God. They had the wrong idea, but still they were awestruck by a creative God, you know, um, all-powerful God. Cain had absolutely no care for what he had done. If you look at his attitude, I mean, when I went back and really started to study this, I'm going, the chutzpah of this guy. I mean, you know, he had no sense of remorse or sorrow um, for for his poor sacrifice or for the death of his brother. There was absolutely none. In fact, I imagine he felt quite justified by what he had done. Because he's going, you know, my, my brother's keeper, I don't have anything in that, you know. And God told him, he said, I know what, what you did. But it did, still didn't matter to him. He never fell down before God and, and uh, cried out for mercy. It's not there. It is not there. There's a lot of whining and complaining but there is no remorse in this man. Zero remorse. So God judged him. And um, it fell hard on Cain. But God's heart was always merciful, even in the judgment. You know, Cain could have had it a whole lot worse. Um, let's go back to Genesis now and just read a little bit here. I want to get two words out. We're doing good. It's just five till six. Mm-hmm. All right. Verse 11. And now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened up her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it will not henceforth yield to you her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall you be in the earth. So, the earth, because of Cain's, I mean, because of Abel's blood on that ground, the ground closed up to the hand of Cain. Cain's whole livelihood was agriculture. And now God says, because the blood of your brother is on that ground, that ground is closed to you. It will not produce for you. You know, you are execrated. The curse there is the word that means execrate. When you and I are blessed, we are consecrated. To con means together with. The flow of the blessing is with us, together with us. But when we are under the curse, we are execrated. The flow, we are outside. Ex means out. We are outside of the flow of the blessings of God. So he was saying, Cain, you are outside of the flow of the blessings of the ground. It will produce for somebody else, but it is close to you. You will never be able to earn a livelihood that way. And then he said, you're going to be two things. You're going to be a fugitive and a, bag, a vagabond. Two interesting words. The word fugitive, nua, means you're going to be wandering continuously, moving from place to place, shaking like leaves on a tree. You know. This is homeless wanderer. Homeless wanderer. Great way to put it. And the funny thing is, is because English... To me, you know, a fugitive is somebody who's on the run all the time. Well, they're absolutely reversed here. Fugitive and vagabond. Vagabond is that homeless wanderer to me. But when you look up the meaning of the words, they're just reversed. So fugitive is actually the word for, yeah, you know, homeless wanderer. But then the vagabond is the word nude, which means um, deplored, taunted, Forced to move, driven from place to place. There's no place where he could find rest in the earth. His family was moving constantly. 
driven from place to place because nobody in the family wanted him. Well, you can imagine, I mean, this, this murder happened, and, and there's scripture to back it up, about 130 years after Adam was created. Not too long after that. In 130 years, you can produce a lot of offspring. That's a big family. However, and since nobody was dying young, I mean, everybody was living on, you, you, you could have a huge family in 130 years. Um, 32,000. Yeah, I, that, that's exactly right. There are places where they estimate at least 32,000 people. And um, um, they're all family. They know each other. And Noah's the patriarch. You know, he's the one over everybody. They're, you're either going to be brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, or cousins. I mean, that's where they were in the family tree. It wasn't that far down the family tree. So all of them would be outraged by the death of Abel. You know, they would have been horrified by the death of Adam's son. And no wonder they drove him out and pushed him away. Um, he would no longer be welcome among his own people. So when Adam and Eve moved east of Eden, he moved farther away from that. Um, he moved to the land of Nod, <laughs> which literally means wanderer, nude, wanderer, fugitive. So in other words, he moved to no man's land. That's basically what that means. It wasn't the name of a town. It was just he moved to no man's land. And, and um, he just had to eke out a living the best way he can. So after God pronounced the judgment, Cain, instead of falling on his face and saying, forgive me, Lord, is there any way you know, that I can get back in your good graces? No, he starts to whine. <laughs> yeah. And look at what he says. Go back to verses 13 now. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. He's worried about his punishment when he murdered his brother. What kind of punishment was murder, you know? Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the earth. From the face, from your face shall I be hid. And I will be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it will come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. Well, I imagine everybody in the family would like to, you know, beat him to death. Who wouldn't for killing innocent Abel? But, but look at his whines. The first one is, he says, I'm being banished from the ground. I can't, you know, make a living anymore. And I'm being banished from the very people that, that's my family. I'm going to be driven from place to place. I won't be accepted anywhere. And then this interesting thing, I'll be away from, the, from your face. Now, he's not talking here about being, uh, losing contact with the Lord. Or at breaking a relationship. I'll no longer be able to come into your presence. The face of the Lord represents blessings. He says, I will no longer have any of your blessings. That's what he's saying there. And God's going, you got that right, son. But he wasn't whining that he was going to miss God. You know, oh, I'm going to miss being in your presence. No. He was complaining because... In the face of the God is where the blessings are. And he said, I'll no longer have any of those blessings going my way. And God didn't deny it. He said, yep, that's about right. And then he said, now everybody that meets me is going to want to kill me. And he was afraid of his own death. 
even though he didn't have any care about his brother's death. He still had no remorse, no sorrow whatsoever about killing Abel, but he's afraid for his own death. What an attitude, you know. You go, oh my goodness. Um, so God's re response to Cain was this. Well, let's just read it and then we'll talk about it. Okay, and then we're going to quit here in a minute. Verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain... Um, oh, wait a minute. Let's see. No, yeah, he slays me. Yeah, and the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. That's nude. Same word again for fugitive. You know, no man's land. Um, east of Eden. So Cain's life began again. But now he's without the favor of God, without his livelihood, and without family. None of, none of the family. They drive him from place to place. He's not welcome anywhere. And he just roams. So um, the only blessing that he got out of that was... Um, God says, no, nobody's going to kill you because God hates murder. You know what I mean? You know, that's just it. We're all made in his image. And murder is absolutely um, horrific in God's eyes. So God says, no, I'm going to put a mark on you. Um, oath is the word there. Some kind of evidence or a sign um, to let others know not to take his life. Now, this was um, kind of interesting. One Hebrew commentator said... It could have been a mark um, that dealt with his appearance that made people dread and avoid him. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, it could have been. But whatever, if anybody took Cain's life, the punishment would be on him sevenfold. Targum explains it like this, and it makes much better sense because when you get down to his relative, Enoch, um, I mean, Lamech, you'll see, you know, Lamech says... I get the same promise that that um, my granddad got, but um, seven times greater. So it was anybody that kills you, Cain, will pay the cost for that death for seven generations. Not just sevenfold, but seven generations will pay um, for the death, for your death. If anybody does that, the, the curse will hit them for seven generations. So that's what that means. Mm -hmm. Him sevenfold. Yeah. Um, so it would be for seven generations, the curse that was on Cain will be on whoever kills him. Mm -hmm. And then Lamech says, well, because I killed two people, and we'll find out Lamech kills two people. He says, then that mark on me is going to guarantee that whoever kills me is going to have like double sevenfold, you know. So like 14 generations. Yes. I know. I said, boy, it just I can kill you runs. because somebody else is going to pay for That's it. That's it. Exactly. It's yeah. just, it's crazy, their rationalizations. It's just crazy. 
So anyway, the picture is that he wandered, you know, farther east than Adam and Eve, outside of his family, no longer accepted by them. He was an outcast. Now, what what is interesting about that is is that not only um, did, is he outcast from um, his family, but he becomes an outcast from God. God was still open to dealing with Cain. God never shut that door. But Cain shut that door. And Cain's people um, come to be idol worshipers. Cain's generations um, become idol worshipers. They are, um, you have Cain's line and Abel's line. We're going to do the begats next time. But Cain's line and Abel's line that move forward, forward toward Noah. Okay. Half of those, I mean, half of that generation, Cain's generations, were, were idol worshipers. Where um, Seth's line, because Abel was gone, Seth's line becomes um, worshipers of God. That, that line follows with Adam, and they are, are faith, people that walk by faith. And um, so out of those two lines, you see that Cain cut himself off from God. He chose to do that. You know. So we'll do the begats next week and um, just skip through those. I said, you know, we were laughing in Sunday school, and I haven't signed up to read the Word, but don't you want to time it so that you don't end up at... Um, all the chapter one. Oh yes, in sign. Chronicles chapter yes. one. Oh my gosh, would yes. sign up at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So much of they signed up in the wee hours of the morning, so no one would be here for to hear them read <laughs> of the begats. Yeah. Well, that's it. Well, I signed uh, up for late Monday afternoon so I could read the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That too. Yeah, I'm thinking nobody wants to read First Chronicles chapter one. <laughs> you know, that's like two chapters of begats. Oh yes. my gosh! Will we be reminded again of what time first do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We used to do it a long time ago. I would just give everybody a peeling stick, you know, so you could take it home and stick it on your Bible or whatever. And, but I don't. I don't know. We haven't done that in a long time, so I was kind of surprised. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah, we had to stop because of the safety issues, getting people in and out, and you know, because because it, this was before the keypad. You know, you there was, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, probably what they'll do is just give out one code number, and it'll be good for just three days, and then it'll be gone. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what they'll do, but um. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we had to stop doing that because it was a safety issue. We just had, you know, we just had a, a little fob to get in, and you couldn't give your fob to anybody else. So it was hard. Nobody could get in, so we were just done. It just didn't work. Well, let me just pray with you here, and then, we'll, then we're done. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for revelation today. I mean, how sweet was your presence in this room, Lord? Um, so so overwhelming and so precious. And we always oh, thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for any revelation we get and, and how it um, enlightens the word over and over and over again for us. 
Father, I just ask that you use us this week to be a blessing, open doors, and um, give us opportunities to minister your word and your life to other people. Um, Lord, we just we are just so thankful for the opportunity and the privilege of being about your business in the earth, Lord. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.